questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? And the second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, thrilled to welcome you to season number six, episode 94. Man, I can't believe we're almost at the century mark, but if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're glad you're listening. We invite you to dig deep into our archives, learn from great conversations Michael John Cusick has had with the likes of Bill Thrall, John Eldridge, Lisa Turkhurst, Dallas Willard, and so many more. If you'd like to know even more about us, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. Now, today's conversation is 28 years in the making. Why 28 years? Well, Michael's guest is his wife, Julianne Cusick. Now, today we'll discover why it took Julianne 25 of those years to fulfill a dream. And she'll also answer the question, how do you recover from your husband's sexual brokenness, addiction, and infidelity? Now, Michael and Julianne have been on quite a journey together, one that includes seasons of love, betrayal, reconciliation, and hope. Today's conversation will also put the spotlight on Julianne's journey, and I hope you're inspired and encouraged as she shares her perspective on keeping her dreams of becoming a marriage and family therapist alive in the midst of distractions and unexpected life trauma. Now, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Welcome to the program, everybody. It's another episode of Restoring the Soul, and I am Michael John Cusick, and today it's a special treat where I am in the studio with my bride of almost 28 years, Julie Ann Cusick. Welcome. Thanks, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Long time coming. We've been trying to make this happen for almost three years. Talk to us about why it's taken so long. Well, I have been in graduate school for the last three years pursuing a master's in marriage and family therapy. (laughs) And you recently? I recently graduated and uh, finished my counseling internship. So the last year I was in school and in a counseling internship. So um, whenever you asked me, my answer would be when I'm done with graduate school and my internship. (laughs) And you have been faithful, as you always are. It's taken three years, but here you are. You, uh, I want you to talk in a minute about why you went marriage and family and Mm -hmm. why you went to graduate school, because you've actually been uh, working in Colorado as a registered therapist for many years, and this was to take things to another level. So why graduate school and why marriage and family? It started out under grim circumstances. This is certainly not the path or direction I would have chosen the way it came about. Um, But early on in our marriage, um, I think the first year it was that we were married, you got your master's in counseling. And a couple of years later, I was scheduled to um, go to school for my master's. But that did not happen because I had the unexpected Masters, yes, the unexpected journey. Um, So let me hit pause. You were accepted into the 
Master of Arts in Counseling under the what would have been the instruction of Dr. Dan Allender, Dr. Larry Crabb, yep. Dr. Tom Varney, that whole group. Mm-hmm. Um, you audited that program for a couple of different years and already got, you had been deeply immersed in the material. Oh, yes, that's true. And then you got accepted to the program and everything fell apart. Yes. So, yes. So the first year of our marriage, while you were going through the program, I think I audited that year a number of classes. I was in a wives uh, group for wives uh, who had husbands going through the master's degree. Uh, I think a year later, at some point you were an intern. And so I did a lot of auditing of classes out there while you were an intern. So, yes. So I had I had pretty much sat in on everything, but the the uh, group practicums I wasn't allowed um you know, in those, those were for students only, but all of the other classes, yes, I had sat in on. You just didn't have to write the papers and do all that. Well, seeing as I am a one on the Enneagram, there were some papers I actually did. (laughs) Um, Call me a glutton for punishment. Um, And then I actually took human growth and development for credit um, back 25, I guess, years ago now. Yes. Yeah, so then about three years after we got married, I was uh, accepted and uh, enrolled to start in the master's uh, program in counseling and had quit my job so I could be free to go to school. Um, and, and the closer it got, the more I just felt this this heaviness, like uh, it, it just didn't feel, um, felt like a heavy burden. It didn't feel like a, a lightness. And I remember the the passage, you know, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I thought this does not feel easy or light at all. And not knowing what was ahead, um, but definitely feeling like this wasn't the time I was supposed to be doing this. I withdrew before school started. And then several weeks after that was when I caught you in a lie that unraveled probably a one to two year history of secrets and hiddenness and betrayal and some sexual acting out that I knew nothing about. So the world as I knew it at that point came crashing down. And so I want you to talk about this. Obviously, there was the the shattered dream of a marriage Mm -hmm. of what you thought was Mm -hmm. And what you suddenly discovered back in 1994 of my infidelity, sexual addiction, deceit, lies. But on top of that, there was this other shattered dream of you lost this dream of graduate school. Yes. And I'm bringing this up because it's so important. It's related to the trauma work that you do with betrayed wives, that it's oftentimes just multiple traumas and losses and wounds all together. Absolutely, absolutely. Talk about what that was like for you as together here we are sitting uh, 25 years later. Oh, it was um, a holy and horrible uh, journey. I would never want to go through it again. Um, you know, but hindsight is twenty twenty, and it was defi- definitely necessary, I think, for healing for both of us and for our marriage for for us to have gone through that. Um, Again, not that either one of us would want to go through that again or would choose that. But despite the grim circumstances, 
Um, you can see God's hand in it all now. I certainly didn't then. Um, if any of our listeners have listened to some of my pre-recorded talks from the last time, um, I spoke probably about 15 years ago, maybe a little longer now. Um, that was my unexpected journey, right? Um, but there was a lot of, a lot of grief and a lot of trauma, a lot of betrayal. I was very angry, you know, I was really angry at God. You know, here I am three years in married to this Christian man who's getting a Christian counseling degree and, you know, you're doing what? And you're lying to me and you've betrayed me. And, um, I was just devastated. So didn't know if I would come through that. Um, but that wasn't the end of the story. That wasn't the end of the story. And will you comment about what it was like to have that uh, wound on top of a wound, the dream of graduate school on top of this other betrayal, uh, like a a double loss, a double wound? Um, How did that impact your journey? Because you actually made the choice not to participate in graduate school for your own well-being, and yet it was still this this huge loss. Well, it made sense to me why it wasn't time to go to graduate school. I didn't understand. You know, I had been waiting. I'd wanted to go through the program, you know, for three years, three, four years. Um, and so I didn't understand why when it was, quote, unquote, finally my turn, why that didn't happen. But as soon as all of the betrayal came out, all of the secrets, I was so relieved not to be in school, not to um, have academic work. And mostly I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I would feel so ashamed if everyone, you know, in the program knew. Uh, I am so glad that I can go through this in kind of silence and secrecy myself, right? Silence and solitude. Um, And I did. I I walked alone for many, many, many months. Um, I had one person that I met with who knew. And then, of course, we met with a mentor um, initially. So I I was mad and angry and disappointed that my master's degree wasn't going to give me a certificate at the end, you know, but that this master's degree I was going through was, how do you recover from your husband's sexual brokenness and sexual addiction and sexual infidelity? Like, that's the the degree nobody signs up for. And back then, there were not the books, there were not the resources, nobody was talking about this. It was kind of a, your husband will hopefully get some help, but forgive and forget. And let me ask you about this. You said that there was this shame there, that you would feel the shame. And to many, this might sound counterintuitive, but it's a big issue for women who have had a sexual betrayal or betrayal of any kind. It was me that, uh, that sinned grievously against you. It was me who deceived you and betrayed you. And, of course, I felt uh, a lot of shame after that was out. And, of course, I had a lot of core shame that I was unaware of that had to be healed. But why did you feel shame? And is this a common experience for women? Mm, Great question. Uh, Yes, it is a common experience um, for for women to experience. And for me, um, you know, I was ashamed of what you had done and— read into that as what does that say about me? And I think that's where 
as women, as wives who've been betrayed, we can kind of stumble is, you know, I don't want people to know that, you know, this is what my husband has done, because what will that, what will that say about me? What will that say about our marriage? What will that say about our ministry? Um, So it casts a shadow on everything. It's not just something that is dark and secretive and there's shame on the man. That shadow encompasses the wife, the family, the children. And at that point, we didn't have children, thankfully. But I did. I had a lot of shame that this was your issue um, and vicarious shame of what did that say about me then if I have a, a husband who struggles with this. So along with that question of what does this say about me, what are the other questions that you were asking or that other women are asking? And I'm assuming that that question of what does this say about me, there's a negative answer to that, like what's wrong with me? Am I not enough? Yeah, it's kind of like why, you know, why am I not good enough? Um, you know, why am I in a marriage to this this Christian man and after three years – um, I find out this has been going on behind my back for two years, and it just changes everything. It it rewrites history, um, and that I mean we were we were young, we were still newlyweds. You know, present day, I work with women who've been married, you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years, and they're finding out about this secret double life that their husbands have had. So talk about rewriting history and talk about casting a shadow backwards over everything. Um, it's infinitely greater than that. What I went through. Um, Hey, let me ask you a question as we are sitting here in this studio in our office that I come to every day and you're here multiple times a week and I'm used to sitting in front of this microphone. I'm aware that I am, uh, taking more sips of water than I normally do because my mouth is dry and that uh, as I'm checking in with myself, my heart is beating a little faster. There's a little bit of tightness. I'm tapping my feet more than I, I normally do. And we have done maybe an overstatement, endless processing and much counseling over years and years and years around this wound and betrayal of of mine to you in 1994, 25 years ago. But here I am, I teach on trauma, I teach on sexual addiction, and I'm nervous. You're aware of the activation. Your central nervous system is being activated. Because I I can go somewhere and teach about this, and I'm the expert, but I'm just aware that sitting with you, mm. it's a whole mm. different deal. Yeah. So I know yeah. that you, you like vulnerability and self-disclosure. That's, that's not only why I'm doing it, but I'm like, wow. Well, I think wow. it's important for our listeners, right? Because if it's happening to us and we're the, you know, quote, unquote, experts on this and help others get free, I think it's important for them to know that 25 years later, as you and I sit together to talk about it, that that still causes a, an activation in, in your body. Yeah, and that's something that I try to do personally and something I try to help others learn yeah. is just checking in with myself. And at first I thought, well, it's late in the afternoon on a Friday or maybe I didn't have enough to eat and my blood sugar's low, but hmm. I'm I'm uh, I'm nervous. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. Here's the observation. I do a lot of this talking with the women I work with and the um, wives support groups that I lead and really – any chance I get to talk about uh, 
sex addiction recovery or more importantly betrayal trauma recovery for the wife the partner but it's not and then you speak and teach on this all the time but it's not often that we come together and certainly in this intimate studio setting right to talk about what happened 25 years ago yeah i don't know that we've ever done it on microphones together huh Wow, well, here's a first time live happening. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, and it's been a a while. Yeah, so I kind of like to talk about, do you have any other questions? Because I'm eager to talk about like how it was that I got to graduate school and how I got to be in the studio with you today, but I don't want to. Well, no, it's all about me. So let's focus on my activation and my heart rate. So what do you need right now? No, I'm kidding. To feel good. No, seriously, what do you need right now for me to? I am well. I am just paying attention to it. And um, I thought it would be a good illustration because on this podcast, I like to do kind of real time, real life stuff. Yeah. And um So I'm ready to move on. Just sometimes to put words to it is good. But thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm really glad that you did that. I think it's really cool. And it brought awareness to me that, yeah, this is the first time we've done this together. I'm trying to check into myself and see if I've got any kind of activation going on. But um, I'm just pretty excited to be here today. Cool. I think As am I, (laughs) which exists right alongside, you know, fight or flight. Yeah. Well, and here, let me just reflect on what I just said, that I'm not activated. I want to point out that 25 years ago, I didn't think there would ever be a time in my life that I would talk about this and not be activated. And let's define activated for a moment. You mean that your nervous system is dysregulated? Oh, yeah. Like that my heart would race and uh, my palms would get sweaty and my stomach that I feel sick because for months after the disclosure every morning, you know, I wake up and talk about how I would just have this wave of nausea come over me. So I lived in this in this triggered or activated state, this post trauma state with symptoms of I can't eat, I can't sleep. um, I have sweaty palms. I'm nervous all the time. My stomach you know, feels like there's a flying saucer in there. Hair trigger, irritability, anger, anxiety, sadness. Yes, Any yes, given yes. moment. Yeah. Yes, all of the above. All of that, you know, go from angry to tears. It would just change. And like, ick, this, this state of ick that I lived in. I, I never would have thought that that would ever, I would ever heal or recover from that. So to be able to talk about it and, and I'm not angry at you and, you know, I don't want to minimize certainly what either of us went through or what listeners are going through, uh, but just to validate it is really hard for partners and uh, I, never, I never thought I'd be in the place I am now. Well, there might be people listening right now who are going through this kind of recovery from addiction, infidelity, and betrayal thinking, I can't even dream about the possibility of potentially maybe <laughs> one day not being yeah. so overwhelmed and flooded with these emotions. Absolutely. Uh, but it does happen, and you're living proof of that. Yeah. So yeah. let's reroute for a minute, because I want you to be able to tell a little more of your professional journey and also let folks know that we will be doing uh, on the tales of this podcast a series of uh, four to six episodes of you sharing and teaching about betrayal trauma. But I think we need to do an episode on just this whole idea of regulation 
and kind of uh, helping ourselves to get grounded and live within the window of tolerance. Yeah, and thankfully, there's uh, a lot more resources out there now than there were uh, 25 years ago when I went through this. Um, I remember getting a couple of books, and I couldn't really hold focus to read, but some of them were just crap. And I remember just whipping them across the room, like, you know, that's not helpful. I'm not, I'm not reading that. And so thankfully for our listeners, there's a lot more than just restoring the soul that's out there. And literally, I think every day in the last, I don't know, three, four days, it seems like I've heard of a new um, podcast or a new website or a new book that was written. And so there's more and more out there about this whole trauma model. But when I was going through this, when we were going through this, everything was pretty much 12-step, codependent, um, you know, I'm an enabler of your behavior. Um, And that never sat with me because I thought, how can I enable something I don't even know that's going on? And that's, that's a real soapbox, but I don't think you want me to go there just yet. So, Jules, as you describe the the, the the trauma and the difficulty of the nausea and all of the dysregulation and activation and, and really walking through a deep valley. Uh, fast forward for our listeners how you got into doing this work that you're doing now uh, as a professional therapist. I love that question, Michael, and I'm eager to answer it. However, as you were asking the question, another part that I think could be helpful for listeners is the other part of the activation that happened for me one was the betrayal trauma between us right you had you had lied to me so i had been lied to what i believed was true about you was now no longer true there were other there was more information coming to the surface right and i was having to process all of that well the other part of the trauma reaction was previous trauma in my life where I had been betrayed, where I had been lied to. And so it was a double whammy. And I think that's essential um, for women to know as they're going through this, that our other trauma, if we have it, emotional, physical, sexual, whatever it may be, when we find out in an intimate partner relationship that trust has been broken, we're not only wounded there, but trauma loves to piggyback onto past and previous trauma, and that can get activated as well. And I think, um, say, my, my anger, for example, was really off the charts, and maybe 50% of it was related to you, but the other 50% was related to these past abuses and traumas, these past indiscretions of other people where I had been lied to or hurt or betrayed. So it's fair to say that when, and this was the case for you, when a woman experiences betrayal from infidelity or sex addiction, whatever that might be, that that's going to kind of put, uh, light the fuse of any old wounding that's there. It's going to bring that to the surface as well. Yes, it certainly can. And that has certainly been my personal experience and my experience as I have worked with a number of wives over the past 15 or 20 years. So how do you even begin to untangle that? Oh, my god! The past from the present. Yeah, um, that's a process. And I think it really takes the right person 
uh, and I say the right person because I don't want to say a skilled therapist or a trusted friend or a pastor, because what it really needs to be is somebody who can understand and hold space and, uh, um, and understand trauma, and then also safety. I found that even before I had clinical training, I was able to create and hold safety, a safe space for other women. And that is the most important thing I could say, I think, for a woman looking for help would would be, do you feel safe with this person? Do you feel that they have your best interests at heart? It's very hard. It's impossible to do trauma work when a person doesn't feel safe with the person that's helping them. What would be some examples of how specifically someone might feel unsafe? Uh, Because oftentimes we think about, you know, physical harm and things like that. Oh, no, I'm talking about emotional safety. Uh, I mean, granted, obviously, you want to be physically safe. (laughs) You know, let's assume that. But um, if if somebody is putting themselves above you um, as the expert or the professional, and you don't feel like they're human, um, if somebody is hiding behind or using scripture, to confront you on that would be an unsafe situation or if if um, somebody's talking about you know how you were complicit in this you know your codependency your co-addiction there's not a place for that in the um, the initial setting of of disclosure and the emotional betrayal trauma so I'm thinking about the folks that I work with and we kind of work at two different ends of the hallway here at Restoring the Soul. But I, I work with women with trauma. Yes. Sometimes that's betrayal trauma, but um, also just women with complex traumatic issues. Yes. And I work with couples and I work with men. But sometimes that safety is a sense of I can't just, if they're feeling unsafe, I can't just be who I am at this moment, messy, nervous, anxious, crying, angry. Right. I have to somehow fall into a script or to submit to expectations. And so a therapist that has rigid expectations or here's how you ought to be, that's something to watch out for. Oh, I would say a therapist, a pastor, a friend, anyone who has uh, expectations that you need to get over this quickly or jump through certain, certain hoops to to recover. Um so my process was long and messy, and um, I think part of that was previous unresolved trauma in my own life, and a lot of that was a, a lack of support. I, I really went through this with a lot of um, my own shame that we were walking through this, a lot of isolation. We had only been out here in Colorado three years and only been married three years. We didn't really have a good support community and yet it was that very summer when everything fell apart that we started as- attending a really alive church and eventually we both had a lot of healing from that community and from some of the resources there and then became a part of that healing community where we were praying with other people we were leading groups um, we were speaking at conferences and whatnot that was a that was a real gift. Uh, and going to conferences, that's where a lot of my pastoral care counseling um, training, you know, came was after we become a part of that church. 
And for me, that was also part of my healing, but it was also part of my training. Yes. Because I had been a therapist, I was licensed, but that's where I began to learn about what John Eldridge would go on to call the four streams, this idea that in addition to just talk therapy, that there can be inner healing. Yes. That there can be warfare where we come against uh, the accusations and the lies, where there's a way to integrate our healing into how we walk with God. Uh, and ultimately, that the Holy Spirit is a counselor, and that can sound superficial and woo-woo, but that we can really learn to have conversational intimacy and to uh, hear the voice of God and to be present. And all of that was offered and available at our church in a yeah. really miraculous way. Well, and that even takes me back to um, really when I first became a believer, I think two of the first things— you know, that I did as a brand new Christian is one, I got into counseling with a good Christian counselor. And this person happened to have been trained by um, doctors, Larry Crabb and Dan Allender. And then I got connected with a mentor who had also graduated from that program, but was not functioning as a counselor at that time. She was a mentor. And the first Christian book, if you will, that I ever read was Inside Out. So I had been mentored and in a small group doing Inside Out for about two years before you and I even met. And that that having that foundation um, was essential. So I came to Jesus with, you know, salvation in one hand and a and a bag of <laughs> my my baggage, right? And the other hand, or maybe two hands full of baggage. Um, here I am, Lord, let, let's go through this. So I, I don't have the my my Christianity is separate from my my healing experience, um, my counseling experience. They both came to me together. So um, Peter Scazzaro and emotionally healthy spirituality, right? That was my experience from the get go. So right from the giddy up in your faith journey, it was emotional health and spiritual health were connected and there never really was a separation of those. Yes, two. yes, for me. And I'm so thankful. I think the Lord knew that I, I needed both because <laughs> I was a mess. And I'm really grateful that they have been so integrated. And so then in the aftermath of um, our broken marriage, a, a lot of personal healing as well as training were interspersed together. So, um, you know, Leanne Payne Ministries, Pastoral Care, you know, Francis McNutt, there were a lot of um, different um, things that we were exposed to, things as in training and, and theories and theophostics and whatnot that were personally beneficial, but also were equipping us at the same time. And then I think it was about that time that, as I had worked through some of my past and present trauma, that women started wanting to talk to me about their own experiences. I can't believe you circled back around, because I was aware that we were like all over the map and great conversation. So if you weren't here, I would have just like kept going on good tangents and fun tangents, but I can't believe you circled back around. So keep going with that. Um, women started wanting to meet with you, and what started happening inside of you? Yeah, well, it was interesting because, you know, for five years I was really committed to not telling anyone my story. And it was once, it was through um, telling my story to a few people. Well, let me say this. It's really hard to keep your husband's sex addiction 
private when he's leading a public ministry. (laughs) So I think that had a big part that I could try and stick my head in the sand and say, "Uh, no, thanks. I really don't want to have anything to do with this. Um, And like, this is why it's the master's degree nobody signs up for. Um, People started coming to me, you know, would you would you meet with me for coffee? Can you meet with me one on one? Hey, I just found out. Um, my husband is, you know, looking at porn or visiting prostitutes or whatever, the assortment of things. And and because I love people and I love women, this compassion of what I had been through started to come out for others. And I came to a place where I said, I don't want another woman to suffer in silence and shame the way I do. There's no reason for a woman to go through this alone. And so that's when I started meeting with people, really did a lot of pastoral care. Um, And then about 15 or 16 years ago, started offering um, a wives support group. And currently that is not online. Um, It's just something I do out here in Colorado. I've had um, women drive from as far as two hours, two and a half hours away, one way, uh, to come to the group, which is very honoring and humbling for me. Um, But I think it shows how how desperate women are to get good help and, and to be heard and seen and validated for the pain and suffering that they're going through. Yeah, in our region here in the Front Range of Colorado, Denver, and North and South, uh, there are a handful, just a small handful, of 12-step groups for uh, women in recovery from betrayal. But there's no groups or, or very, very few that I know of that are doing any kind of more relational um inner healing and heart-oriented work. And, and I always want to um, qualify that when I refer to 12 steps and then to our approach, whether it's the surfing for God restorative approach or what you do with women in your group called unexpected journey, that it's not better or worse or good or bad. It's just different. And people need different kinds of help at different times. Absolutely. However, I will say there has been some well-intentioned folks using 12 step codependent model and it has been damaging. Specifically, 12-step um, would be a, a woman sitting across from a therapist and um, being told she's codependent, that she has a disease of codependency, and that she needs treatment. And that's the key word. Um, that's kind of a buzzword. If you're a partner and somebody is telling you that you need treatment, um, my little spidey senses go off when I hear that. Spouses don't, spouses of a betrayed partner, and this could be a man or a woman. So I also want to give a little commercial that there's a lot of men out there who they're faithful, but their wives are the ones who are, have been going out. Um, and usually it's, it can be porn, but many times it's relationships and that's pretty devastating as well. Um, So if you're the betrayed partner and somebody is saying you need treatment, um, I get a little antsy when I hear that because my experience personally and professionally is that the betrayed partner needs support. Now, they need support that's trauma-informed, that understands um, sexual addiction, sexual compulsivity, um, but they need support. To me, treatment indicates that there's something wrong with you that you need to have treated. We 
when we, if we have cancer, you know, we go for cancer treatment. If we have a sex addiction, we go for recovery treatment. Um, and so I think just a sensitivity, a lot of the language out there um, is offering treatment for partners. And so that's a concern. But um, pastors, uh, well-meaning pastors can do it if, if um, they're not aware. And I think there's a lot of well-meaning uh, pastors and counselors who want to help. And yet their, their lens or their framework is very, very narrow. Um, and so please, if you're listening and you're a caregiver and you're not familiar with trauma recovery and sexual betrayal, please refer that person um, to somebody who is, but I've had women say, well, the pastor said to me, um, you know, are you satisfying your husband sexually? Mm-hmm. Um, and this has nothing to do with, you know, the woman, um, her sexuality, what she does in bed, what she doesn't do in bed, her body, her breast size, her hip size. It's, it's so not about that. And to imply that or put that on a woman is damaging. And you've seen again and again that women come in with these kinds of stories. We're not just trying to be hypercritical, nor are you trying to, you know, be bombastic in telling the worst stories, but that there's there's some themes of how people come in and they have been uh, not just in some cases not cared for at all, but that the care that's been offered has been hurtful. Yes, yes, yes. And those are not even some of the worst stories. Um, but they're, they are, they're, they're heartbreaking. And so it's a, it's trauma on top of trauma. It's betrayal on top of betrayal. Um, it's saying to uh, a rape, a rape victim, instead of saying, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, you know, let's get you some care and some, you know, some help. It's saying, well, what were you wearing? And, and kind of blaming the victim. Um, Which is hard to feel safe and like you can be just who you are and feel your pain and anxiety. Exactly. Which is why the number one thing you want to you wanna go for is somebody that you feel safe with. So we're bouncing around here, but I want to make sure that people can kind of hear about you went from caring for women meeting with them for coffee and things like that, getting involved in ministry at church to people with a wide variety of sexual brokenness. But at one point, you became a registered psychotherapist in Colorado and then went through this journey with grad school. Talk about that. Well, as I was working with women, um, I think I've led about 15 years of of groups uh, with women and, and, and kind of paid attention to the women that were there and their symptoms and seeing this this trauma um i started trying to research and find books and there was very very little research and information out there but i kept on my quest and then about five years ago i came across dr omar manwala out in california at the institute for sexual health you know at this point you know our marriage had been recovered you'd been meeting with men i'd been meeting with women we'd both been leading groups and in the meantime, we'd had a child together and, and adopted our daughter. Um, and so I was busy being a mom, right, for many years and just kind of helping women part time. Um, but as the kids got older, and I, I just am really passionate about this trauma recovery model. It just makes so much sense. And, and it hurts me to see hurting people get hurt more. 
So long story short, I went out to California. I asked um, Dr. Manwala, you know, if I could come. And I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a registered psychotherapist. I've been, you know, mostly functioning as a pastoral counselor for many years. I'm working with this, you know, people, women who have been betrayed um, sexually by their husbands. You know, can I come out to this this training that you're doing for professionals? And he graciously said yes. And it was real interesting. So there was... Um, my co-leader and I, who I, I have led groups with, there were a few women who um, were professionals in the trauma field, like working with um, uh, sexual assault, rape victims, so they knew the trauma. There were several who um, had training in the sex addiction model. Um, there's all sorts of different names and lingos and letters, but they were they were trained more in 12-step. And then there were several PhDs. And everything that that Dr. Manwala was was teaching was resonating with everything that I believed and that I had seen from the women I had worked with and, and individually and in groups and, and what I believed in and what I was doing. So it was a real affirmation for me. In other words, that you actually started to develop this lens and see trauma beneath the surface and that trauma was the issue as opposed to codependency or a co-addict model. Yes. There was just not much or nothing written, no research done, and your practice and what you're doing where women were being helped bumped up against with this clinician and researcher, Omar Manwala, and the validation was, hey, this is this is a real thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. Um, it was validation. You know, I'm I'm onto this. Like I'm I'm reading this accurately. So personally, you know, I was I was validated. But then professionally, it was like, hey, you know, here's this man who's a who's a PhD, who's a researcher, who teaches, you know, therapists, and and he's saying the same thing I'm saying, and we we uh, we are in alignment. So. Um, you know, I talked with him and I said, how did you discover this? <laughs> you know, and he goes the same way you did. I was paying attention to my clients and oh my gosh, um, it, it was just, it was so amazing. And he's such a kind, um, man. And, uh, that was really the impetus for, uh, okay, what do I need to do to do this work well and, and have, you know, the credentials or the licensing or whatever it is that I need to, to be able to have a voice because I, I wanted to have a, a impact a larger audience just than the people that it could come to me here in Colorado. Uh, I wanted, I, and I don't know what that's going to look like yet, right? <laughs> so here we are. Um, so they said, get licensed. So, I mean, I literally came home from this conference, um, got into, looked at all the different mental health licenses. Um, for those of you who are interested, there's, uh, um, licensed professional counselor, clinical or licensed social worker, or licensed clinical social worker, and then there's a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I thought, well, marriage and family, right? Because that's what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with marriages. And so I studied what what's the core curriculum, right, of between LPC and LMFT. And I really connected with this idea of of groups and families and how they function and they're, that they're a system and what one person does impacts the other and and um, g- getting underneath kind of what's going on in the system. So that was uh, the degree that um, I I pursued. So I've spent three years um, in graduate school. And you kicked butt. I. I really did. I loved it. It was great for me. I want to just shout out to you. Not only did you work hard and persevere, but um, I 
kind of skimmed through both of my degrees because I can read fast and do well on tests, but you really went deep. I mean, you read everything and you would read the extra books. And I learned a lot from you while you were in your graduate degree. Um, You've gotten a lot fresher training. You had different uh, approaches and instructors and I just, I just really think your training was exceptional that a lot of people don't get. Yeah, I'm really pleased. Um, so if you're a faculty member in Denver, you know who you are, <laughs> if you happen to ever listen to this. Um, great team of people I worked with. And what was really special for me is that anytime we had research projects, which was every class because we were in graduate school, um, I always did my paper on... Um, sex addiction-induced trauma uh, or betrayal trauma. And there's more and more research out there in the clinical journals. And um, I really dug deep into that material. And so I'm that much more confident in in what I do and in understanding what the nature of um, the beast is, if you will, of what happens Um, it's a different kind of it's a different kind of betrayal you know if if um, couples married and one person has um, you know a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction that's that's pretty pretty relevant and impactful and there's a whole bunch of um, dynamics that play out in the system but when something is sexual in nature it's a different type of betrayal it's something very personal that really goes to the heart of a woman and so getting getting insight into that exploring that um the the other thing is that this porn addiction um epidemic that our country and our world is dealing with um has just grown exponentially uh, a couple of weeks ago uh was going to my daughter and I stopped by an estate sale and I and I chuckled there were still in the plastic covers Playboy magazines from the like the 1970s or something. And I thought, oh, to go back to the day when it was in print and you had to, you know, and it was sealed and you had to go to the, the corner uh, 7-Eleven or whatever, and it was kept behind the counter down low. <laughs> Like, you, you know we've we've crossed the line when we're longing for the old days of just playboys. <laughs> um, because children have access in their cellular devices. It's online pornography is just rampant, and um, young children are getting exposed. Um, at early ages, teenagers are getting confused about what healthy sexuality is because they're learning about sex through porn, and it's very twisted. Um, they're struggling with shame and, and guilt and confusion. And then men in their 20s are struggling with erectile dysfunction because they can't get aroused and sustain arousal with a real woman because of so much um, pornography use and masturbation and then then you look at at women or couples who've been married 10 20 30 40 years and this hidden secret because there's so much shame around it comes out and there's this devastation to the woman to the marriage to the children and and that just is like a drop in a still lake the ripples go out and out and out people come to us they've lost 
their home. They've lost the jobs. They've lost churches. They've lost communities. They can't go to the store without seeing somebody who knows their story uh, because it was made public. And um, there's no safe place for them. So, Jules, as you look forward, what do you want to do? Where are you going to go with all of this training and experience? Well, Michael, I am really passionate about helping um, women recover from betrayal trauma, coming alongside couples. And then I'm also really passionate about caring for and helping caregivers who have people come across their path um, with betrayal trauma. And you're looking at doing that both with individual folks on a local basis in kind of a weekly format, what we might call traditional counseling, but also looking into uh, diving more deeply into intensive counseling. Yes. Um, I, I like to focus uh, locally um, because it's where, it's where I live, right? It's giving back to my community. But I'm also aware that I feel like I have a gift that um, shouldn't be hidden, that the the need is beyond um, Denver, Colorado. Um, The need is great. It is across the United States. It's across the world. And so um, I really want to be a part of this growing movement of bringing awareness to the impact of sexual addiction and infidelity um, on a marriage and on a partner. And what does it mean to come alongside betrayal trauma and um, support not just the individuals and the couples locally and globally, uh, but also what does it mean to support caregivers, um, counselors, therapists, um, pastors who have people coming into them saying, help, this is what's going on. So one of the things I'd like to do is maybe a series for helpers saying, you know, what do you say, what not to say? (laughs) Yeah, so that's a great uh, point to close on. But first I want to say, Thank you for bringing uh, your expertise and your heart and for, after three years, uh, finally coming into the studio to get some conversation on tape. And what I'm most excited about is that this is more of just kind of a general conversation, but that we are in the process of putting together four to six episodes in a series around walking with women who have been sexually betrayed and experiencing betrayal trauma and you're going to be contributing to that, and I just think that's going to be an amazing resource. But definitely uh, to do one for caregivers as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's been an honor to be here today. I hope uh, some of what we have shared and talked about is helpful to our listeners. Uh, thank you for your patience and listening. Um, know our, our our thoughts. And our hearts go out to you in whatever situation you find yourself. And if we can be of help along your journey, um, please reach out to us at Restoring the Soul. Julianne, thank you. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul. To learn more about our intensive counseling programs where we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.